Welcome to the Mental Arsenal Podcast, your go-to resource for creating an extraordinary life and business from the inside out. I am your host, Master Life Coach and Business Success Coach, Chris Acebu. This podcast is dedicated to helping purpose-driven leaders and entrepreneurs and ambitious people like you thrive in life and business by mastering the inner game. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Tia Rappaport is a brain coach and a productivity coach who's on a mission to help entrepreneurs be more efficient and effective. One of her goals is to help others understand how the brain works and support them in using it even better so that they can overcome obstacles, experience more inner peace, and accomplish their goals. Asti believes that we can be efficient and have our lives work for us instead of us constantly trying to catch our breath. She is the founder of Life Picks University, which is also a show and podcast that she hosts, which is dedicated to help growing entrepreneurs solve their core problems so they can become more efficient and effective in their personal and professional life. Welcome to the show, ST Rappaport. Ah, oh, thank you, Chris. I'm so excited to be here talking with you. Yeah, so happy to have you on. So before we got on this call, one of the things that you mentioned wanting to talk about was about thinking skills, which is something that's so powerful and that relates to the theme and what the podcast is all about, like creating the life and business that we want from the inside out and the mental arsenal, developing the mental tools for navigating life. And I love, and I'm very interested also in your area of expertise around learning because so much of our growth personally and professionally really comes from our ability to learn effectively and efficiently. And I would also definitely love to talk about how developing these thinking skills relate to our ability to be productive. Yeah, because that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs really struggle with, how to be more productive. So yeah, yeah, before we get to that, though, why don't you share a little bit about your journey, about where you came from and how you got to where you are now as a productivity coach and a brain coach? Yes. So my story starts back when I was in fifth grade and I was still struggling with the reading. So it wasn't that I couldn't read, but I still went multiple times out to like tutors and was having a hard time with it. My parents paid a lot of money to try to help me get better at it. And there was like almost no results. So they're like, okay, it's time to try something new. So this time, instead of going to another reading tutor, what I did was I went to someone who helped me improve my thinking skills. We did absolutely no reading type of materials. We did thinking skills activities. And what happened was not only did my thinking skills get better, but also like my confidence grew. My the way I was able to like other areas of school, like my test marks went up, things that I was good at became even better. And I just saw what a massive impact it had on my life that I decided that later on. I'm like, okay, I need to go and help people do this. So that way they can really make their life more efficient and effective. Nice. I really love it when I bring 
guests on and I love sh- giving them time to talk a little bit about their background and how they got to where they are now. And it's always nice to have people have that impulse to help other people from a place of experience. <laughs> like you really come from that came from that place of struggling with reading and then discovering something, this new solution, improving your thinking skills, which had nothing to do directly with reading, but then that eventually helping you help your issues around reading. So tell us a little bit, I'm very curious, tell us a little bit about what those thinking skills are. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. So these thinking skills, another name for them is called cognitive function. So I might use them interchangeably. But basically the way it works is thinking is not one big thing. Thinking is actually made up of 28 parts called cognitive functions. Now, being the fact that there are 28 and like every skill, we're automatically better at some of them and worse at others. It could either be because of genetics. A lot of it is also like how you grew up. So if you see your parents doing certain ways, right? It's just like you learn skills. They're skills. They're essentially, they are skills that you can learn and you can improve at any stage or at any age. So it's just because one of them is weak, it doesn't mean that you can do it. Now, the good part about it is that once you improve it, you have it forever. Like it's literally a skill and it's like riding a bike, right? Now, there are 28 of them, which is a lot. So we could either go through all of them really fast, or we could talk about a few and go more into depth. What would you prefer? I feel like maybe we can talk about a few and go into depth, but I'll trust your expertise to decide what are the like most common ones or like something that a common struggle area for people the blind spots, like we're not even aware. Oh, I didn't know that there was this thinking skill. So based on your experience and expertise, I'll just let you lead. Yeah. And if we have, we can talk about as many as we can, as time permits, but it would be nice to have a little bit of depth on the skills. Yeah. So let's do it. So think besides for the actual thinking skills, thinking is done in three phases. We have input, how we take in the information, elaboration, how we process it, and then output, how we tell the world we know what we know. Now, in each one of those phases, there are these cognitive functions. So let's say in the first phase to take in information, thinking about what you need to take in information. So the first one would be, it's what's called clear perception. It's when you're able to take things in an organized manner. Did you ever walk into a room and you there was like such a mess that you just, I can't be near, you just walked out or you open your emails and there's 500 emails and you're like, <laughs> I'm not even starting, right? <laughs> so someone yeah. who feels like that is they're struggling with this cognitive function. There's so much information. Their brain's not, okay, I could go to one email and go to one email at a time. I don't have to take in all this information at once, right? That would be clear perception. So usually if you think that this is something that you're struggling with, usually I like to say, make a starting point. Think of what's the first thing. You're trying to clean a room, pick up the garbage. You're trying to write a sales page. What's your goal of the sales page? Like literally, what's your headline? Who are you talking to, right? You are trying to develop like a slideshow that you're going to tell everybody else. Literally open it up on your computer. First step, don't even get overwhelmed. Just open it up and see what happens. And then you'll take it one step at a time. Obviously, here, this is where it gets super fun because some people say, okay, then you're going to break it down into such small steps like you're thinking really small. 
hey, once that skill is really strong, then you could start combining it with other skills and thinking bigger, right? But we can't jump because we could jump. But if we do jump, then it makes it harder for us when we jump. When that skill is really strong, we could still, we could do the other skills that we want to do. Nice. So we can think about it as like a foundational skill. It's like when we hone the muscle of clear perception, everything else gets much easier or it facilitates learning in other areas. Yeah, I really like that. And sometimes, especially in the world right now, we like a nice analogy with the messy room. It's like just the world of information and knowledge. There's so much information and knowledge. People tend to feel this information overload and that can feel very overwhelming and confusing. And I like the solution that you shared, which is just starting with one thing and creating that focus. And how you did that was ask a really powerful focusing question. What's my goal here? What do I want to achieve here? What's my first step? And I think that's really powerful. And that's one of the ways we can really work with the brain is giving it questions and letting its intelligence provide the answers. Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring up the questions part because actually when I work with clients, we don't teach at all. We do it the process, what's called the process of mediation, mm -hmm. where I ask them questions to help their brain come up with the answer themselves. So I'm never going to tell them, oh, this is the answer. I'm going to ask them one question, another question, and take them through the process of it themselves. And you could actually do it yourself. Like you said, like you, anytime you're in a challenge, you ask yourself questions to help you come with a conclusion. So when you could think of it in that way, okay, I don't know what to do here, but what's a question I could ask myself, then you don't feel as stuck. Okay, there's nothing to do and you just want to give up. Yeah. I love that about coaching and <clears throat> that is a very powerful tool for anyone to have really. It's a great way to uncover and get access to inner resources that a lot of us forget that is available to us. And when we give the brain questions, it gives us answer. And in addition to that, it's crucial that we develop the skill of asking the right questions. <laughs> because if we ask the right questions, we'll get the right answers. And for many people, they get stuck because one, they ask the wrong questions. And two, they ask rhetorical questions. <laughs> like They ask a question and don't even attempt to answer it. So <laughs> I really love that. And I really agree that resonates with me like with coaching, the most effective coaching is the coach does not give advice. Like the coach, there will be situations where it's appropriate, but the most powerful coaching comes from the coach asking the right questions, facilitating the conversation and letting the clients themselves come up with the answers. I think that is so true. That is so powerful and worth mentioning because it's something that a lot of people misunderstand about coaching they think life coaches give life advices and it's not the case <laughs> yeah. if only <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, and um, even, yeah. What? sorry go ahead <laughs> no, I just going to say about the asking questions, one more thing I was thinking that it honestly, it takes practice. I was just speaking with a colleague just a couple of weeks ago and I met her like a year ago where she wasn't like I met her for the first time. She just became a mediator. She just started asking people questions 
And I was like watching her and I was like, okay, she's not amazing, but whatever. She's not especially bad. And then a couple weeks ago when I met her a year later, I couldn't stop telling her, do you see you're such a good mediator because like over practice, over time, you get better at it. So even if you sometimes ask the wrong questions now, which is going to happen in the beginning, as you practice, don't give up and don't say, okay, this is not getting the answer to see what other question could I ask myself that will help me get there. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes if we ask a question and sometimes the client says, I don't know, <laughs> sometimes it, it requires us to provide silence to give them a moment to really think for an answer. And if not, it's really just asking a different version <laughs> or a variant of the question. So yeah, questions really are powerful. And to our viewers and listeners, if that's something that you want to maximize in your life, if you want to develop the skill of asking the right questions, the best way to get started if you don't have a coach or you're not working with a coach is to journal. So using appropriate prompts to get thoughts out of your head, to bring out ideas is a really powerful practice to have. Oh yeah, such a fan of journaling, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Should we go into another cognitive function? Yes, yes. Okay, so this is another one is a lot of people who struggle with being punctual or with planning or they're always trying new methods of how to stay on time. Actually, they first have to take a step back and see if their thinking skill of time, of understanding time is actually there. Time is one of the most abstract concepts for our brain to wrap their hands around because what is now is already in the past. So it's a challenge, but it doesn't mean it's impossible, right? There are different activities you could do that your brain can start getting a sense of time, right? So if, let's say some people, uh, especially people with ADHD, I find this helps them like super, super helpful. I love people with ADHD. I'm just saying I love their energy and like their ambition and stuff. But this is like one of their like fallouts is, right? They think that like it's going to take way less time than what it actually happens so what i suggest is you take a piece of paper or notepad or whatever and for the next week okay don't kill me this is going to be horrible but it's going to be so worth it it's going to change your life forever after is all the tasks that you do often time how long it takes you to get dressed to check your emails to anything that you do often right now over the week obviously every day will be a little bit different but you'll get an average so next week when you start planning your week you won't make the assumption that it takes you 10 minutes to take a shower when it takes you closer to 25 and then you're wondering why you're always running late if you have yeah. it clear black and white this is what i need to help me plan and this will start getting your brain adjusted to like how long do things actually take and things like that then when you try those other courses that you learned about being punctual and productivity and other stuff, it will be a lot easier for you because this foundational skill is in place. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And that just speaks to developing more awareness around time. And you're so right. I think we have the tendency to overestimate or maybe underestimate rather the time it takes to complete a task. And that is such a powerful exercise to our viewers and listeners. And as they shared, it might feel hard, but this is something that I like to think of as upfront work or legwork or time investment. It, it might feel like I'm wasting time logging this, but the time and focus you get back in return for 
investing in creating that awareness around how long it takes you to take a shower, to go to the gym or to write a blog post. That is so powerful and it's so liberating to just get yourself off the hook because if you're not aware about how long something takes and then now you have a list of all these tasks, especially those recurring tasks and commitments, like that creates the overwhelm, right? Because you're like, oh, there's so many things to do. And then what's also even more liberating is that some tasks actually take faster. <laughs> like they can take less than two minutes and we keep it on our to-do. We keep avoiding it when we could have just do it in a minute or two minutes. And it adds to the stack of everything else. And that's a great way to also break down our commitments in terms of the time duration. I really love that because that's not really something we think about, right? Usually we prioritize based on urgency and importance, but we don't really think about how long a task or project takes. Yeah. And two more things on that. First of all, like we know however much time we set for a task, that's how long it's going to take, right? So if you say I have 30 minutes to write a blog post, then you'll have 30 minutes to write a blog post. For people who are a little bit more advanced with this cognitive function and they want to take it to the next level, then what you could do is once you know how long a task actually takes you, start shaving off time. What happens? Can I challenge myself and do it in just 25 minutes, right? This is not like when you're coming to the planning stage, but when you want to become more efficient, this is going to, when, if you're going to have only 25 minutes, you're going to find a way to make it work. And you're not going to waste extra time searching one more thing that you don't really need to search and you could just get it done. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that shrinking the deadline that is so powerful. And it speaks to the Parkinson's law work expands to fill the space allotted for its completion. But then I really like that you mentioned that that key thing is first, you need to know how long get clear on how long it actually takes and then work backwards into shrinking that deadline. The second thing that I was going to say about time is, as you were saying about like the dividing based on priorities or in time, is one of the things that I like to talk about a lot is the fact that even though we're learning all these systems and we're learning all these tools and you're listening to a bunch of podcasts and videos and things like that, and a lot of times it feels like the information is sometimes contradicting. And yes, sometimes you just have to follow one path and you have to go down one path and you have to follow that path. But at the same time, you don't want to become a robot. You want to use your brain and you want to use contradicting skills because sometimes this skill is better and sometimes this skill is better. So for example, one of the strategies that we use when we're like rewiring our brain is either doing the ugly frog first, right? I think Brian Tracy is the one that 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 like made it popular. It's like, where's the hard thing? And you do that thing first and like you just do it and then you're done with it. And sometimes you want to do the easy one first, right? Like you said, it takes you just two minutes and you're going to want to do the easy one so that way you don't have to think about it. Now, these are two complete opposites, but you are a smart person and you could figure out which one is better for this situation. Oh my gosh, I love that because I am the latter. <laughs> I'm the one who doesn't like to eat the frog. Frogs are nasty. <laughs> I like to do like small tasks incrementally until I get to the big task. And again, that's another really liberating insight to our viewers and listeners have this curiosity approach. It doesn't have to be rigid. And again, there's no one size fits all. We all have a unique curriculum. Different strategies resonate with different people. 
but you'll never find what resonates and what works for you unless you try it. Don't allow all the conflicting informations to paralyze you from a decision paralysis because you have too many options or you have too conflicting ideas. Test things, try things, but don't be erratic with these experiments. Give it time to mature, allow it to marinate. Pick a strategy, stay with that strategy for a week. Because I think sometimes more. <laughs> or more, right? Like it takes 21 days to create neural pathways. So definitely allow that time. And that's how you find the solution that works for you. And yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So another cognitive function, if you were thinking like, okay, I'm really good with time. I'm really good with being productive. You might like this story because I was like that. I was planning my day every single day the night before since high school. Like I was always a productive person. I didn't have time, didn't have trouble with being on time. That wasn't, was one of my strengths. I didn't have a hard time with it. And I always thought that was awesome. I'm getting things done. I'm being super productive. I didn't like procrastinate. Every time I had something to do, I would get it done right away. Until I was in one of our more advanced trainings for cognitive functions, because every would go through more every year, like, because we like to always grow and learn. And during this training, all of a sudden something clicked. We did an exercise that I actually did back when I was in school, but obviously, like you get different things at different stages of your life. And here I was already an adult and I already more experience. And I realized that my cognitive function of categorizations was weak now categorizations about like how do you put things in categories how do you group things many people who struggle with this one are let's say they're disorganized or they don't know how to like literally put things in groups right now I on the other hand like I said I was like super organized I was always punctual I always knew how to organize things and I'm telling you this story so that way two things a you see how every situation every cognitive function shows up differently in different people's lives and b even if you think that you're really good at something like you said you want to have that open mind and try it out and see if maybe there's something there you could learn because what I discovered during that journey was because I was so good at everything having to happen now I did everything right now. So if I saw that I needed something from the grocery store, I would go right now to the grocery store, even if I won't need it. And I would wait, it could wait for tomorrow when I need to go to the grocery store anyways to gather things. So what would happen? I would end up wasting a lot of time doing things that was okay if I would have just batched them together. And now, then I should say, I started replanning my day a different way. I'd plan my day much more grouping things together. So I literally shaved off more than 10 hours every single week. So you have to see where does that fall in for you? Nice. Yeah, and I think one of the best ways to get good at categorizing or compartmentalizing is taking a seat and grabbing a pen and paper and look at everything that you're currently committed to in your life or business. So groceries, paying bills, and the work that you have to do in your desk, going out to the gym, whatever. And so you can get a full picture of what's on your plate. And then, yeah, like you said, like batching and grouping activities together. I think that really adds to our effectiveness and efficiency and 
I think in some productivity circles, they would refer to that as like context. If you're at the supermarket, like you do everything that you have to do in the supermarket. And if you're in your workspace, you do everything, right? So I love that. So yeah, what's the next cognitive skill? Yeah, another cognitive skill that is actually a prerequisite for for categorization and one that a lot of people think they're good at but they're actually struggling is comparing we like to go into the store let's say we're buying a new laptop right so we go into the store and we have like our indecision we have a and we have b a we want because it has a bigger screen but b we want because it's cheaper so we say i want this one because it's bigger and i want this one because it's cheaper but you're not comparing it on the same parameters you're saying different rules about certain things you have to make sure you're comparing them that this is 18 inches this is 12 inches this is 3000 this is 12000 and then you can make your decision based on your priorities Right. So start thinking about how you're actually comparing things. Nice. I love that. That's a great way to think about <clears throat> in the areas of decision making. Yeah. It's comparing apples to oranges. And also in terms of like how we process information, like we need to hone the skill of making sure we are operating on correct information or accurate information. I really love that. That's really powerful. And that's definitely, you're right. Like I would admit that I struggle in that area. I think it's a maybe a blind spot for me. Like I don't realize, oh, I'm not comparing this feature to this other feature. Like I'm actually comparing it to a different thing. And that kind of like clouds my judgment and it feels so fuzzy. And now I don't know what to decide. I think that's very You're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, what you just said about taking, making sure you're comparing the right information, that actually comes from another cognitive function that we had back in the input phase where we take in our information. Of call, It's called gathering precise and accurate data. It's where you literally want to make sure you're taking the information. If someone gives you a phone number or an email address and you write one number off, what happens? You can't contact that person. So it happens all the time without us even realizing. And it just makes little stupid mistakes that were like, what did this have to happen? And it, you literally just take one extra second to make sure you got the right information and you copied it right down from your thing where you write, like when someone's talking to you or that proper information is going to help you then process it in the elaboration page. It's going to help you process, make your decisions or define your problems or categorizing or whatever other thing you have to do. Yeah, I love that. And what that brings up for me is a concept on facts versus opinions. Ideally, we operate on the facts, like you said, the accurate information and input that's coming to us. And normally that should suffice when it comes to making effective decisions. But then when we color it with the facts with opinions, that's when it gets tricky, right? Yeah, like separating the story from the facts, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh yeah, on the same page with you, that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, let's get on to the next one. But so far, I am learning so much and I'm sure our viewers and listeners have so much takeaway from this as well. So yeah, excited for the next one and hopefully we can cover as much as ground as we can. Yes, another one that is actually in the output phase is considering another person's perspective. Now, Obviously, it's related to being able to talk 
to relationships, right? A lot of times people do things in relationships and we get mad at them. And it's simply because they have a weakness in this skill. If we understand that it's not that they're a bad person and they're not purposely trying to harm you, but rather this thinking skill is weak by them. And just like you won't get mad at a a five-month-year-old that he can't walk, you won't get mad at them if you understand that it's coming from a weak skill. Obviously, there are times when people are purposely being mean, but I'm saying for the general, generally, like, we come from that sort of understanding makes it a lot easier. But what's really interesting with this cognitive function is that it's highly related to a different cognitive function that we haven't yet spoken about understanding space. Understanding space is about like rights and lefts, fronts and back, north, south, right? Or how much distance is in between being anything having to do with space. But I have a question for you. If you know where your right hand is, because you can you tell me who's the right hand of the guy who's walking towards you, coming in a different direction, coming towards you on the street? You, In order to really understand space, you have to go into the other person's shoes and understand where's his right hand? Where's his left hand? When he turns around, when he spins, not just like directly in front of you. What if he's like only 90 degrees from you? So do you see how by understanding rights and lefts of other people in different directions, that afterwards helps you understand different people's perspectives, opinions, and could have deeper connecting conversations. Nice. I love that. And to me, what that brings up is the concept of compassion and empathy, which is something that my people might take lightly, but in the world of entrepreneurship, it is the number one skill. <laughs> when Ooh, you, yep. <laughs> yeah, you can... I love that. I really love that metaphor of like putting yourself in someone else's shoes and walking a mile in their shoes and seeing the world through their eyes. I think it's a very generous thing that we can do as human beings for other people. I think if we do not develop that skill, if we're not honed on that thinking skill, it's so easy to jump to conclusions and make assumptions about what other people are thinking and what their motivations are. And we come from a closed heart and we approach them with a closed heart. <clears throat> but when we get curious and and generous and really try to, again, walk in their shoes and see the world through their eyes, we can have this more understanding. And I really love that quote from, I think, I'm not sure if it's from Seven Habits, where you, you, we want to seek first to understand before yes. we want we seek to be understood. I think that's even a really mature thing because everyone just wants to be like we just want the world to understand us but in order for that to happen we must first hone that muscle of understanding others first yeah Yeah, one other thing that's been super helpful is when you if you think about it when somebody is talking then you have a movie in your brain playing what they're saying you're interpreting what they're saying and you're seeing it from your perspective now if you want to get better at understanding other people, understanding, considering another person's perspective. When someone else is talking, you want to press pause on your movie and see the movie from their perspective. As soon as they're not talking, you go back to your movie. You'll get right back to it really soon. But while they're talking, can you play their movie and see it from their perspective? Yeah, I love that. Suspend your own beliefs and your own opinions about what they say 
because you're so right. Like when someone talks or says something, like we immediately color it with our past experience, with our history with that person, <laughs> with our current knowledge, and we're not seeing the raw information and seeing things from their worldview. Yeah, I think, and that is a skill. And I love how when we started the show, like all these are skills and all skills can be learned. And it's never too late. You're never too old or too young to learn these skills. It's just a matter of practice. And I really love that word practice because when we practice, like, we're not performing, so we're allowed to suck when we're practicing. We don't have to get it perfect. And it's just a matter of enjoying the process, having fun, and enjoying the ride of growing and growing as a person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, growth mindset all the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, believing that any skill that you don't have, it can be learned. And to some degree, if someone else can do it, you can too, to some degree. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little naive when it comes to it, but I do really believe that if you believe you could do it, then you'll find a way and you'll be able to do it. I don't care nature. I don't care what happens, but you'll figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's the next thinking skill? The next thinking skill. We could talk about the one that I find a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, especially that they're such action takers. They want to do things right away. They have problems. They want to solve them. And they don't like to, they, that, that's why they make biggest changes in the world. And they do the best things because they don't like overthink and they just do the action. But sometimes they miss this thinking skill that it ends up causing a lot of problems. And this is in the second phase and the elaboration phase of it's called defining the problem. You literally take just a few moments, sometimes it takes longer, but sometimes it's less than a minute to define what the actual problem is. So many times we're like trying to figure it out and we spend so much time and we get into action and we change the things, but like maybe your ads are running on the wrong platform. And if you would just take a moment to figure that out, instead of trying to change the headline and change the call button, you would change it to the platform of where your audience is right? Taking that extra few moments could save you so much money, aggravation, and just time. It's incredible what it could do. Yeah, that's so powerful. And what's even more powerful is like you said, it can take a, just a few moments really to just pause and stop and hold up and really think more deeply about this and allow a little bit more reflection and introspection. I think especially for entrepreneurs, like they're always on the go, was want to get things going. And when you have a reactive approach to problems, it's like you're just putting all these small fires during the day. You're not actually getting the things that matter most done, the needle movers in your business. So I think that's really powerful to just be able to pause. And I think that's so hard for a lot of people, right? Because they're so used to this action taking and all this movement and maybe even they have weird beliefs around pausing and they can't allow themselves to just relax and ease into the moment and really think more deeply about the what the actual problem is and another thing that really brings up for me is the concept of root cause if you don't allow yourself to take a moment and introspect you do, you 
end up addressing problems on a symptomatic level. What's symptoms? But you need to get to the root cause, get to the bottom of it. I think there's this beautiful analogy of the top of the river. <laughs> there's a long story, but and eventually, like what there's a lot of kids that are like drowning, and they keep saving the kids and. Eventually, they were like, why are there a lot of kids getting thrown in the river? So it's like the upstream approach, like get to the root cause. That's how you fix the problem. Oh, my goodness. I am such a big believer in that. Everything I do is based on I actually call it core issue, but the exact same thing, root cause of understanding what happened. And if you want another, like uh, a little bit more personal story, but it's super practical just to give you another understanding of it. I could, it's not so much related to business, but it shows you where everywhere in your life, you need to really get used to look for that root cause is a couple months ago, my dad fell off a bike and became paralyzed from his from his neck down. Thank God he's doing really well. He's walking again. But at that time, we didn't know if he would be. And he had a feeding tube. He couldn't eat. And he had a feeding tube. And he caused, there was like a lot of issues. Like he had a lot of gas issues. He couldn't sleep at night. He was like just really not, just feeling very uncomfortable from just like everything moving around than happening in his body. So what were the doctors doing? The doctors, we were giving him sleeping meds. They were giving him pain meds to take that pain away. They were giving him gas meds to take away the gas. My mom's like, maybe we have to take a moment and think about what's actually causing everything. All they did was they changed the food that he was getting through his feeding tube to different type of food that didn't have dairy and things like that. And everything went away. No need for any of the other medications. We just need to take a moment and instead of being like, okay, like you said, like just dealing with the little symptoms and putting on those little band-aids, as I call them, and actually figure out what is the problem solve that and can't it always it goes away like I like to compare it to a pipe like water and you have a hole like you don't want to just plaster your ceiling if you have a pipe in your hole now you obviously you have to first fix the core issue and you have to fix the hole but sometimes you do still have to repaint the wall after if it actually made a hole in your wall so I'm not mm-hmm. going to say that always the symptoms always go away but guaranteed if you don't deal with the real issue the symptoms will still keep on coming back <laughs> I love that. I love that concept of keep coming back. Like it perpetuates. It's going to haunt you again and again and again until you address the root cause. And thanks for sharing that story. I think it's a very beautiful story as it relates to addressing root cause, addressing problems on the level of root cause or like you shared core issue. Because I think some people might find resistance to that because addressing symptoms or things on a symptomatic level is convenient, is fast. It's okay, I can do this right away. The small tweak, the small change. And then addressing a root cause can feel like a lot, it will take a lot more time and effort. But then if you really zoom out, like it takes over the course of when the problem persists, it actually takes more time and effort and mental and emotional energy to have to keep patching up the symptoms and never addressing the root cause. So I think people can start thinking about it as, again, that upfront work. Let's just do that now so that it doesn't happen again, like the problem doesn't happen again. Yeah, you explained that so well. Like, literally, I'm like just in such agreement with that. Literally, if you look at my socials, you'll see stopping to putting on band-aids and solving with core issues. So that's how much just right at the top in the body. That's how much I believe in it. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, it's a core philosophy that... I ascribe to, especially in the areas of 
emotional healing and trauma like my gosh like i think again like the attitude of people in the medical field and this is not to generalize but there is this attitude of again symptomatic treatment let's just medicate it let's just drown this person in medications and so they won't feel these emotions but then that's not really addressing it on the root cause level and so it never really fixes the problem <laughs> permanently like it can we can have an, an illusion of feeling healed or cured but it's only temporary or it only lasts as long as we continue to have these medications that doesn't really fix the problem exactly exactly it just makes me so sad when these like stories that happen i'm like there's other options yeah so look for them know that there are always other options just know that okay <laughs> yeah and to our viewers and listeners who are on medications like we're not telling you to stop taking them uh, please be... don't you are going to get <laughs> in even bigger trouble with yourself yeah yeah consult your doctor and talk to them about other options and how you can taper or potentially plan on discontinuing them like i for sure, there is a place in the world for medications, but I think it's like a last resort or if there really is a real physiological problem. But if it's just if you're having anxiety or depression that is non-clinical, that's just part of normal human despair, you get a rejection, you have a breakup, someone dies, you go bankrupt, like those are normal parts of life. If you feel shitty about them, doesn't mean you're mentally ill or that you have to medicate yourself. It means you're normal. <laughs> it means you're normal. Yes, absolutely. And that's why it's so powerful, right? To develop these thinking skills, to help us navigate those aspects in our lives. Because I always mention it on the show. These are things that are not taught in schools. And which is really unfortunate because people all need it it's a foundational skill for having more life for actualizing our potential for being all that we can be yeah creating oh, yeah. good in the world yeah actually <laughs> like medication like there are other things besides for asking your doctor i'm not saying to do nothing without your doctor but also want to look into other people not just doctors because doctors usually tend to medicate i know like in the u.s it's like way stronger than in most places around the world but even one thing do you know that the same part of your brain that is in charge of focusing like choosing to focus is actually also in charge of the sense of touch so when you improve your sense of touch you automatically get better at focusing so a lot of people who take medication for adhd if you improve your sense of touch literally like i work with clients to do this then what happens is you don't need the medications anymore. Obviously, we always work with doctors and it goes slower and it goes things. And like I said, I'm not telling you to just go off it, but you, we're actually improving your brain's ability to focus because right now you have to take medications because you can't focus, which your brain can't focus, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible and it doesn't mean that you can't learn it. There are ways that you could solve that core issue so you don't have to take that medication. So I'm just saying this to give some hope to someone out there who's, okay, I don't want to be on these medications forever or I don't like the side effects or it is. Look out the box, out of the regular system, and you're going to start finding things, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like really what you said there, that it's possible to <clears throat> get off these medications and to be able to learn the skill of focusing. And that just speaks to 
how we also need to be careful around labels. If we get so identified with, okay, I have ADHD or I, a person with ADHD, I think we can almost lock ourselves into that rigid box where I'm someone who's not capable of focusing my attention because again, I have attention deficit. That serves a purpose, labeling. It helps us address the problem, but we need to maintain a healthy detachment and make sure we don't identify (laughs) as someone who's just that. We don't let the label identify us because that allows us to be open to the possibilities that we can learn to focus. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, actually, one of the cognitive functions is labeling. It's giving like ideas or things like calling them the right thing instead of just saying this, that or put this there. And I like to say you're labeling things. You're not labeling people like don't give yourself labels. Just don't. Sometimes it's good to understand the diagnosis so you understand yourself better. But that's where it ends. It doesn't limit you. It doesn't put you in a box. Like you said, like literally use it as a stepping stone to help you learn more about yourself instead of putting you into limitations. Yeah, that's so powerful. And the brain just loves to do that, right? By default, it likes to label things. And it's how it tries to understand the world and what's going on in the world. So it likes, tries to label things as good or bad. And it colors our true perception. And we see things inaccurately. And we're not seeing things as they actually are or people as they actually are. So yeah, definitely developing that consciousness and awareness really helps in that area. Yeah, people who struggle with this cognitive function of labeling, like I remember I had a client, absolutely could not remember anything. Now, it wasn't because he didn't have a memory issue, it was because his brain wasn't using labels. So he just had a big pot of information. And anytime you told him anything, it just went in this pot. Literally, if you would tell him a story, by the time he got up to the second sentence of the story, he already forgot what you said the first time because there was no labels. So Calling things their right names helps your brain organize it, categorize it, like do higher thinking, things like that. It really helps you with communication. People understand you better. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's why it's so powerful to also improve our vocabulary, not like to learn jargons and big words, but just to add a richness to our communication and language because it helps us communicate better when we can use specific words to describe certain things. And this is even more powerful in the areas of emotional intelligence. If we can label emotions more accurately versus just good or bad, positive, negative, happy, sad, there's a whole range of emotions. And if we can add more to our repertoire of like emotional words to help label them accurately, it puts us in a better place to handle them because we, we're able to name them. Oh, yeah, that reminds me that in this program, like the work I do is based on Professor Rubens Feuerstein's program, the one that identified these 20 cognitive functions. Now, he made a special program also for younger kids. And one of them is about emotions. And for each one, right when I started in the beginning, I was working with kids. And at that point, we would like we would do like exercises on emotions. So let's say we'd pick happy and there's all different exercises about happy. But what we would always do also is that we would write a scale from one to 10 and we would put down different words for each, like on a scale from one to 10. What does it look like when you're a little happy, just one? What does it look like when you're 
10 happy, like ecstatic, right? And this, you could even do this as an adult, just because you're not a kid doesn't mean like you can't do this. We'll literally give you the language for what you need to use and when it will also help you literally raise your EQ as you could identify emotions on a more specific level. I love that. Oh, that's such a good exercise for people to try using a scale and <clears throat> really tuning in on what a level zero is, what the level five is, what the level 10 is, and just get to know yourself a little bit more in terms of like emotions. I think that's so powerful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Oh, of course. Yeah. So I think we have room for a little bit more thinking skills. Do you have anything else you want to add? Oh, there are so many. There are 28 <laughs> of them. <laughs> yeah. I think another one that I like to talk about with entrepreneurs is the concept of understanding reality. Now, entrepreneurs have really big dreams. And I am your biggest believer that you should go and chase your dreams. All of them. Like I said earlier, if you believe it, I know you'll have a way of doing it. But at the same time, you might be finding yourself constantly getting frustrated at why you're not achieving your dreams or why things aren't working out because you're struggling with this thinking skill of understanding reality or in simple words of like how to make it practical. So take your big, huge dream, your big, huge goal and break it down into houses actually going to happen so you decided today that you are going to go to england to go and speak about this event or whatever or something but you have another thing that's happening at a time and instead of like it not happening in the end because there's so many details and this person said something and it just the whole thing fell through take that time to figure out how am i actually like understanding reality how am i actually going to make this practical and going to make this work yeah even if it I means think... being really creative and thinking out of the box yeah. I think one of the core personality traits of entrepreneurs is that they're visionaries. And it's great to be a visionary when you're an entrepreneur, but then it comes at a cost and that cost is like you're fixated on the big picture. <laughs> and that's what gets in the way of execution. And that's a very powerful tool that you just shared. Being able to break a big dream down into actionable steps or phases or milestones or stages, however you want to articulate it, but really just chunking it so that it's more actionable. Because when we just fixate on a dream, like especially when the dream is vague or too grand or not actionable, it does not really move us into action. And sometimes that's frustrating, right? Because then we start questioning ourselves like, okay, why am I not making progress? Why am I stuck in overwhelm or confusion and yeah that really can feel very frustrating so that's very powerful yeah that's a really big one we do one more or we're stopping yes. now yeah do one more okay so the next one i'm gonna share there's actually two you get to go two together because they always work two together and this one is interesting i find that usually entrepreneurs are really good at it, but when they're aware of it, they become even better. So let's think of, as I'm talking, think how it relates to you. This one 
is also my whole introduction before I start is the also the only one that you might have heard a little bit about in school most of the other ones I doubt you did this is hypothetical thinking and hypothetical testing right so if I know this then I know what and then that's the hypothetical thinking then hypothetical testing is what strategies what's going to help me go and figure that out. So if I know that these type of blog posts work best, I'm going, and then I'm going to go and write these type of blog posts. If I know nobody responds when I put these type of social media posts, then I'm not going to go and use that. But what's going to be your strategy to help you figure it out? Because when we're doing hypothetical testing, not it's not like a concrete answer. It's not like for sure. We're assuming, we're learning from past experiences, and that way we don't have to relearn everything a hundred times but we still need strategies to help us figure it out. So next time you're in a new situation or you're trying to move forward, use that train of thought if and then. And once you have that sentence, ask yourself, what strategy is going to help me figure it out? I love that. That's such a beautiful approach, a hypothetical approach. And it frees us from making these mistakes because the approach is out of testing, just like a scientist in the lab, right? Or a researcher, we're testing an idea, we're testing a strategy. And if the idea or strategy doesn't work out, that's fine because that now gives us input and insight into, okay, what can I change? How can I do things differently? I really love that. That's such a powerful approach, not just in business, but also in life and really allowing ourselves the curiosity and the and these giving ourselves the space to explore. <laughs> I think like we're, we get fixated sometimes on like rigid plans, like it has to happen a certain way, or it has to be this strategy and that tactic that we close ourselves off from other solutions that might actually work better. So I really love that approach, hypothetical thinking and testing. Is that right? Hypothetical testing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and actually, I think you could, if you think about it yourself and you're honest with yourself, you'll think about that your best ideas usually comes from not when you're forming the strategy comes after. And when you're stuck, you need to come out, you need to go into the space, more into the creative zone. It's actually very related to creativity. Funny, no one would think that creativity is related to cognitive functions and thinking skills but it is right if i already made this piece of art or if i saw something from there right no art is brand new no music is like completely scratched everything is taken from different places and mixed a hundred times right same with your strategies if i know this and i mix it in from something else then what's gonna happen yeah i like what you mentioned like when you feel stuck like you need to like get out of that stuckness first and allow your mind your brain to breathe really and to engage in creative thinking, which is really just this engagement where you allow the default mode function of the brain to just daydream and come up with creative ideas to novel problems, especially if we're trying to solve a new problem and we don't have solutions for that, like it's new to us, that requires creative thinking. And like you said, like creative thinking is cumulative, like it's a mixture of all the past experiences, all the previous resources that we've tapped into, all the strategies that we've used previous problems. And yeah, I love how you shared. It doesn't have to be like directly related. It can be like an adjacent problem. 
And I like how that relates too with innovation. Like a lot of innovation does not come directly in that closed out field. Like usually it comes from something outside of that field. So it's nice to get curious in that way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. All right. So Esti, as we get to the end of the episode, which has been so much fun. I learned so much from you and from your expertise. And thank you for being so generous with sharing your wealth of knowledge. And I'm sure everyone appreciates it as well. So before we wrap up, I want to give you a moment too to talk about how people can find you online, how they can connect with you, if they want to work with you, or if they're curious about learning more about the stuff that you do. Yeah, so... If you're a podcast listener, you'll probably want to check out the Life Picks University podcast where every week we go through a different struggle that comes up in your life and explain how it connects to cognitive functions and how you can actually improve them. Now, everywhere I'm Life Picks University, so that's P-I-X University, so wherever you like to search and find your people. I know different people like to stalk in different places. Just search Life Picks University. But if you're wondering uh, where you're how strong each one of your cognitive functions are, like where you're at with each one of them, you could take the cognitive function assessment for free at lifepicksuniversity.com forward slash CF. So for cognitive functions, so just forward slash CF and you'll get it right there for free. And then you could just like download exactly each one. You'll get to hear all the 20 cognitive functions, if the ones that we didn't speak about and figure out exactly where you are. Fantastic. I'm going to take that test. <laughs> Esti, again, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. And to our viewers and listeners, remember to follow your heart, to believe in yourself, and to take action. And to remember that success is something you attract by the person you become. We'll catch you next time on the Mental Arsenal Podcast. Hey, go-getter. Want to know a quick way to boost your motivation and productivity? three words. Crystal clear goals. I have a guide for it. It's called Goalbook, your guide to crystal clear goals. Head on over to chrisacebo.com slash goalbook and grab your free copy now.